0: You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Sandy Kennedy. Sandy is Chief Executive of Entrepreneurial Scotland, an organisation that delivers world-class programmes, manages a fast-growing membership network and supports some of the country's most successful entrepreneurs. You're at the forefront of a movement to inspire and develop Scotland's people to build the most entrepreneurial society in the world. You're on the advisory boards of the Hunter Centre for Entrepreneurship, MIT REAP Scotland, Informatics Ventures and Scottish EDGE, and you're on the board of Social Investment Scotland. I knew that one would trip me up, Sandy. (laughs) It's an honour to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Welcome to the show. Thank you. A real pleasure. Thank you very much. So, in the beginning, I suppose if we can start with, you know, Sandy's early life, um, where you grew up, and I suppose what that experience was like for
1: you. Of course. Um, So, I think, a fairly classic middle class background, if I'm honest, and uh, since sometimes you can be an apologist for that, but you know, <laughs> for, from my point of view, it was um, your very happy upbringing. I was brought up uh, in the West Coast, um, and I uh, was based in uh, Bothwell, so in, in a nice area in Lanarkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I suppose a key key factor, and I think we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to this, was that. Uh, I came from, from a family business background, of which um, our family business was in laterally, in dry cleaning and in photo developing, but prior to that, and through multi-generations, was in laundries. so really? um, very, very focused on the customer, anybody being a customer, um, and also service, and the importance of service. Um, and as my dad uh, always reminded us, was, I'll never forget, we make our money by washing people's clothes, so I think, you know, whatever, I, hopefully that's left me with, a, um, you know, some humility in, in the process and very much recognising uh, that, you know, everybody's got something to, to contribute.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I suppose that a really good grounding in business and, as you say, kind of customer relations.
1: I think so, I think that, and I, in a way, I would urge all the next generation to do this as well, and mm-hmm. certainly my kids are doing that is so I from the age, I think I was legally allowed to do it, but from the age of fourteen, I worked in shops. so mm-hmm. being on a counter, and this was a counter type of you know, imagine a dry cleaning store type of uh, environment. so I, that that relationship where you're dealing with customer after customer after customer after customer, and you're dealing with good stuff, bad stuff. Things not arriving back, things being for a wedding and you know being wonderful, or it's not there and it's not wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That experience, I think, of working from a very early age, um, focused on the customer, working with fabulous. I mean, I was always obviously being fourteen, I was the youngest, but most of the people in those types of stores were in their fifties, uh, even into their sixties, and from you know very you know, good working class backgrounds, and you know I was very much knew my place. Um, I think hmm. that again is a, is a great um, foundation for humility to realise that people you know, work really hard at these sorts of jobs. And at that point, um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't even sure what I was going to go and do, but you know, I, I, I think that was very formative for me. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, you went on to study law at Cambridge. I did, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, what were
0: your career aspirations at that stage?
1: So I'm going to take it back a bit mm. as to what my career aspirations were, so again, clearly I'm going to bring my dad in again, my mum has been a huge uh, influence on me too, um, is, you know your age 16 or so I was, um, uh, well I, all the way through I was the eldest, but you know I was, I was bright and good at exams, but even my mum and dad didn't really go to university, or my dad actually went but didn't stay. Um, And I remember my dad sitting me down when I was sixteen, saying, "You know, son, if you don't want to go to university or you don't think you can get to university, then um, you know that's absolutely fine." And started talking to me about um, at that time Marks and Spencers did a very good straight from school program. Mm -hmm. So, so so age sixteen, even though academically I was strong, I was doing well. Um, I had no sense of pressure from my parents that you know you got to go and, yeah. and do all that sort of stuff. So 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 w- you know the home environment was very you know open and obviously came from I suppose a, an entrepreneurial family in that way. Mm-hmm. However, having said all that, I was good at exams. I was good at getting results. Um, I was did other th- sport and other, other stuff. So, so I was being pushed into going to, to university and I think, and this, so this would be mid-80s, and I think it still exists today, hopefully not as bad, that if you were bright, if you are good at exams, if you did other things, then what you were offered was said, well, that means you must be an accountant, a lawyer, or a doctor, mm-hmm. and possibly <laughs> an engineer, which would be probably the you know, huge fan of engineers not that I'm not a fan of doctors and lawyers <laughs> and accountants but I think yeah. there's an issue there that we have a tendency in our society in our culture to present them as being the exemplar um, career choices so mm-hmm. so I was doing well and they said oh you should maybe you should think about doing law etc and um, so I thought oh well, that sounds interesting I was interested more generally in business and people said oh law is a great grounding itself." And, and as it happened it was or is um but I went into it a bit blind it wasn't it wasn't like I always wanted to be a lawyer and I always went to Cambridge, you know, I I, I suppose my my point is, I didn't really know what university was about. (laughs) I didn't know about law, but followed that. So I had a place at Edinburgh University to do law, and I just got to, um, sitting my my final exams actually, and I I just, just before, I remember a couple of weeks before them, I realised, why am I going to Edinburgh? Because I sort of knew Edinburgh reasonably well at that point. I thought I need to, Branch out, so I, I actually wrote to Edinburgh and said I'm not coming, and then didn't have anywhere to go to university. I sat my exams, I did well on my exams, and then somebody said, Well, you should really be looking to Cambridge. Really? So so that's why I did it. And then <laughs> I did law because I wasn't definitely well, I was good on the science side, but I wasn't good enough to get into Cambridge to do maths and physics. <laughs> but I was quite good at English as well, so and I, was, I had an interest. So. So I applied to do law, and that was something that I couldn't have studied at, uh, at my sort of higher secondary levels. So yeah, that's where yeah. I ended up. So I, I don't want to make it so it wasn't random, but uh-huh. it was. It wasn't a big plan out, um, yeah. and and then so the first point I was making there about how we push a lot of our talent into those sort of traditional careers, and clearly those careers, the prospects for those careers has changed. The at university, once you're in the system mm. and 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 again I am conscious I was in a very privileged position. At Cambridge all the big firms came to us. So they would come to us and they would court us, et cetera. And it's very easy then to fall into a pathway where they're paying you through law school, mm. they're giving you a job at a salary you couldn't have imagined. They're taking you out at that time I was quite interested in going out and having a few beers and they would yeah, do all yeah. that sort of stuff and <laughs> and so so it became very easy. And I think that a lot of um I don't know the the Edinburgh law scene for instance so well, but um that I was in London, um a lot of people end up in law and maybe ten years go, why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. I'd yeah. rather be this or be that but yeah. Uh-huh. So, so there we go. So so <laughs> yeah. I think I think it was there was a wee bit, the, the process took hold of me and then I got shunted through it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and so given where you are now, I mean, do you feel as though that experience was beneficial? Definitely, I
1: think, I think beneficial, and, and I, I'm a believer that all experiences that you have on the way through shape you in some ways, um, some it's really very belief. positively and some, mm. some maybe you have to watch for that actually they, they, they're damaging or they're making you narrow minded you know I'd, I'd seen plenty of people I worked in the city for I can't remember, seven eight years um and that experience was amazing, but it also narrows your mind as to r- reality sometimes, so I think mm-hmm. there's a blend there um but to give you a couple of examples um which i hadn't I hadn't really thought about so if you fast forward a little, I ended up going starting a business um Within a bigger, the bigger family business, for for a bunch of reasons, and it, that was a business which, effectively, I was the first employee in and I did it and I, you know, built a business plan, rolled it out. But I was effectively the marketer as well, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I was with somebody who was a, who's one of my mentors, world class marketer. He said that he his view was that my legal training made me very good at marketing and very particularly good at. Getting clear about what the message is that you want to convey, and finding a way to do it. So, I never crossed my mind that <laughs> law and marketing would go well together. Yeah. And I think the other thing that it gives you is a, uh, at its worst, a pedantry; at its best, an inquiry of really digging in and thinking, oh, how does that, how does that work? How does that? How can you make it better? And just, and so I think that, and, and also an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best lawyers often, as you probably encountered, are are sometimes, they never actually give you an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Because they'll, t- y'all know it's like this, but it could be like that. And if it's not like that, it'll be like this. So choose one. Can't yeah. Possibly choose. <laughs> it's like, so sometimes lawyers can be very bad at, at decision-making because yeah. they, they're always flipping it onto the client to make the decisions. So. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so how did you, you know, in terms of the sort of path that you went on, how did you eventually become Chief Executive Entrepreneurial Scotland,
1: what was the all like? Well, there, there, is, there is a pathway it's interesting when I've answered that question before, I find if I start from where I am today, going backwards, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but if you start yeah. from the past and come forward, which was the version I experienced, um, <laughs> then it does make sense. Um, so, university, law firm in the city, or law college, law firm in the city, I then did four, two years qualification, two years post-qualification, and then moved to 3i, which is a, a VC firm. So mm-hmm. what you're seeing in that early stage, so it took me to about 30 in London, um, what you're seeing is I came from an entrepreneurial background, I do a more traditional degree, I then go into a, quite a traditional setting, but within the city doing M&A was what I was doing, with a specialism in buyouts. I then go into a buyout specialist, firm, but I end up doing a lot of the venture capital. So that was more of an early tech type of investing. Mm-hmm. So what you see is a bit of investment, a bit of academics, a bit of entrepreneurship. Um, and I always wanted to be on the other side of the table. So I always felt I always felt akin to the to that poor person who's looking for, in 3i terms, it was a small amount of money at that time, 2 million, 3 million, 4 million. Because you know, buyouts is 50 million, 100 million. Mm. Um, so, I always felt more affinity with that person um, who was on the other side of the table who had their dreams set and their in their mind and were trying to achieve it hmm. so that then brought me to that stage and, and I'm sure through a variety of personal circumstances like not finding the right girlfriend and all this maybe going I, I realized there was a point in London when I was I was a VIP member of too many nightclubs that I thought, no, no, <laughs> this is not and I wasn't abusing anything. I just uh-huh. enjoyed it it was It was an amazing time for London but um I just felt, this is what it's all about, and mm-hmm. so, I, so I, I decided not to, so I decided to go to business school, because so at that time business school particularly was a was thing to do, to do an MBA. Um, so I looked to go to America, um, and then decided to actually go to Strathclyde to do my MBA, and the reason was because I felt that it was, it was a terrific school. However, I didn't need another blue chip name on my list. What I needed was practical, gritty stuff, mm-hmm. and I needed to to be in the community that I wanted to, where my intent was to end up. So that was took me one step. I then went into, I very nearly went back 3i, but I went back into the family business, but we were more complex in terms of the shareholder structure, which I, I won't go into. But. It meant that I was never actually going to be sort of on the mainstream business. I was never going to be sort of the the main person, if I deserved that anyway. So I started this new business, which is a mail order photo business um, and linked to online. It was just at the cusp of, so this would be 2001. Mm -hmm. So it was effectively an online business and a mail order business linked together. And it really, really well. And so that was me, so the first time effectively starting something from scratch, albeit within a relative comfort of another company. Starting from the scratch, growing it I, I, that was at I was that my happiest I loved it absolutely loved it um and then from there the the as digital cameras were coming in and stuff, we were us and boots were the two biggest in the whole of the u k by this time wow. um I ended up moving across and doing that sort of online digital stuff, but actually effectively being um Business development and marketing director for the for the whole group, and then me and another uh, guy, uh, the production director, ended up running the business uh, for for a period of time. Um, the result of that, though, sadly, was we had a our overhead was too high in retail. It's actually we had 600 stores um, at that point, um, four big labs, or through the process we had four big labs, and really our cost base was too big. So we went into administration um, in December two thousand and eight, very much at the helm, piping down at the top of the as the ship went down. Mm. So five generations of family business, Um, and I came out the back of that. uh, Obviously, with you know I didn't lose my house. You know it could have been a lot worse. You know I had my health and all these things, but no no backdrop to that anymore. Um, But still with a lot of things to feel very grateful for. Uh, and a real sense of the, the staff, that was my biggest, you know, if I get emotional about it, then it's it's the staff mm-hmm. that we're left behind that I really feel for. Um, and I w- was prepared to look at anything. So I had all this background, but what that then applied, and if you think about that, was 2008, so Lehman Brothers had just gone down, mm-hmm. we banked with the Bank of Scotland, they'd just gone into, gone bust. Mm-hmm. You know, there was utter mayhem, nobody knew what was going on, so I said to to, my wife, Christy, and said, well, I'll look at any job, anywhere, doing anything, any sector. <laughs> and lo and behold, I got, um, and I then started to make inquiries, and got approached by uh, Odgers for, to become the first employee of the Salter Foundation, which was an idea at that point, and you know, Scottish Enterprise had done a good job in developing it with a really great set of trustees, but they wanted to get up and away, so I was in, became the first employee back in March 2009. Um, So there's me finding myself in the, effectively running a charity, (laughs) so it's not what I was expecting. Um, But loved it, and I've loved it ever since, and then from there uh, Salter Foundation was very much about developing talent the next generation. I started working with lots of others, and uh, the Entrepreneur Exchange was was an organisation we'd worked a lot with and that was an organisation with a lot of opportunity looking for talent, so bring the two organisations together and then with a terrific board and a, and a great chair and Chris van der mm-hmm. um, a very visionary uh, individual, and doing that with, um, I suppose, a bigger, bolder vision, which you, you outlined a little at the, in the, at the beginning then it had to be more than just the sum of the existing parts, it had to be much more. So that's what I've been sort of wrestling with, I guess, for the last three years. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that answers your question. Oh, it's, but absolutely, it's a journey, no, but that's that's perfect. It's, a, journey, it's, a,
0: it's journey, a, but a a really good overview. But if you if, yeah. if
1: you'd asked the uh I don't know my twenty-one year old self <laughs> who was looking at going to the city and said, Right, so your business family business will be gone, you'll never use law, you're gonna be working in a not for profit, uh looking at entrepreneurship, <laughs> I don't know what I'd have said. I said, well, am I happy? Probably, hopefully, I'd have said it out and said, so yeah. I'll, I'll tell myself, yes, I am. <laughs> so. Excellent.
0: In terms of the vision, you know, I mean, it's it's an enormous vision. Indeed. Where did that originally stem from?
1: So, I think there's... I'm going to answer that in two different ways. One is I can give you the, the origin story so I can tell you where, where, where it comes from. <laughs> um, and the other part of it really is, it's really more forward-looking, is why? Why stay at all? Mm-hmm. So, so the origin story is um, bringing two organisations together. We didn't want it to be a takeover one or the other. So we effectively created a holding company and put a board in there mm-hmm. and then said, right, okay, this is the organization this is our our strategy or vision I guess in, in the lower sense of vision of where we're trying to go and then through that process you've got a new group of people coming together, some with the heritage at the Salter Foundation, some with a heritage in the um, optical exchange, and some who are completely new to it and It was that group that working together and going through a process of vision mission etc that came came up with that vision and it was, probably as like any good origin story, there'll be multi um, mothers and fathers to that, that vision. I'm gonna personally, I'm gonna credit Richard Dixon with it, certainly that's one that sticks in my head. Because we talk, We were talking a lot about um, how this had to be more than just about developing people, It had to be more than just about the community around it. It had to be about culture. Um, and So Ewan Brown, who's also on board, was red hot on this. Frankly, unless we change the culture or adapt, the culture or it evolves, then we're just gonna be talking about this again and again. So that's where we started focusing on the society. Mm. So we started talking about it needs to be an entrepreneurial society, and it was Richard Dixon said, well, if we're gonna do it at all, we may as well be the best. So it was as much a, well, if we're gonna bother trying then, yeah. so that's where, that's where that came from. So that's the origin story. I think the, I suppose this is a bit of a backwards looking forwards, um, is when you look at that statement, clearly we aren't at the moment, clearly we can aspire to it and, and there's plenty of examples of people who, who talk a good game and say that's what it is. I think it was an- another entrepreneur actually who said it, um, and a, and, well his name's Hannah Goodridge, who I have a huge amount of time for and um, hugely admire, great brain, he said, you've got to remember this is about the journey. It's not actually about the destination. It's not about becoming the most, it's the journey from where you are today of where you're gonna get to. Partly because when you get there, you're gonna want to go on another journey. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it's that setting off on a journey with an intent. So that's, for me, is so the the origin story I think is really interesting, but actually what's more powerful is about intent and purpose and recognizing that you're marking yourself on on a journey. so yeah, so Hamid was amazing at helping with that.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting actually. So I mean, how far? Th- my question's actually changed from what it was originally going to be. How how far have we progressed in recent times, and what are we aspiring to? What does yeah. it actually look like?
1: Yeah. So, so answering the first one first, how far have we come? Clearly, it depends on where you, your start point is. But if I use um, the autumn of 2014, so that's when Entrepreneurial Scotland was created, that's when the um, the vision, I guess, was minted and, <laughs> in the crucible of um, fire and smoke or whatever. Yeah. Um, how far we've come. I think we will look back, probably more in a few years time, and say we've come an enormous distance. Um, I, and the reason I say that is because, and, and the examples of that, I suppose is the language that's now being used, and just use two extremes, you have an entrepreneurial, or our government that's talking about an entrepreneurial culture, not just once, not just in the, oh, we we're talking to entrepreneurial types, we'll just talk about it, but again and again and again. Mm. So the programme for government that's just come through from the Scottish government is talking about it. And has it, has it even has it, there's even a line, which may not, many people have seen, is say, we want our government to be entrepreneurial. Mm. So that I see that as a... A huge statement. Mm. Similarly, with the UK government, that engagement around entrepreneurial thinking, entrepreneurial mindset, and then those people who are doing it as being hugely important. So, I think that's on that side, sort of almost like the policy, big picture side. And then, when you look at the other side, which is, goes to this point about society, at a much more sort of you know rubber hitting the road um, sort of stage, is at that time in twenty fourteen well, I suppose they existed, but it was early stages. ESPARK, Codebase, Acorn, Elevator were really relatively in their infancy at that stage. Mm-hmm. The conversations we're having now about scale ups was really in its infancy, you had quite a um diverse group of people doing things in isolation. There's much more cohesion than there was before. Mm. I think that the the what's the word the interest in entrepreneurial thinking generally and entrepreneurship more specifically is much greater than it's been in my, to my in my time. So I think that's progress. I think then you look to, in our case, Salter Scholar programmes, Salter Fellow programmes, New Scotland's uh, Can Do Scale Up programme. You've got other programmes that are running, you know, Converge is up and away and it's doing amazing things. There's a lot of progress. So I think, I think we have come a long way. The reason I say I, do, I think we're going to, it's going to be looking back that we'll see it, because I think we're at a moment where we need to create greater cohesion around the activities, because it's only through that that the real value can be driven out of it. Mm. Um, by, because you, a criticism would be it's cluttered, there's fragmentation, there's lots of people you know, competing voices. Mm. Um, and m- critically importantly, our economics, um indicators are not are not showing that we're good at this um we've got a long way to go so yeah. but i think that groundswell that started is is the is the foundation to to like, to build on mm-hmm.
0: and so in what way will entrepreneurial scotland facilitate and support the growth yep. of of scotland
1: i see it we've got probably three roles to play in that um, and I probably should, and I and in a way when I say play, I think that the way we look at it needs to be not just what we do, but there's going to be elements of what from there that we can um, do with others, so co-produce or joint venture or whatever. And then there's another group of things which we're going to see is that are really important to us, but actually we just say to people, get on yourself. That is brilliant we're with you, hmm. just do it, do it. So we actually, it's more about influence rather than about um, us either doing or, or co-producing it. So so I think that through that lens, um, there's three particular areas that, that we will be focusing in on. One is, um, I'm a huge believer uh, and supported by research, et cetera, that ultimately it comes down to people and it comes down to, in this particular part, a relatively small subset of people which are the ones who are going to be the leaders or the change makers or the innovators mm. um, who those ones who are going to be the ones who are going to, to create the change and the way I, the reason I focus on them is not that everybody else is not really important because they are it's just that this is, shouldn't be about um we are trying to create an organization where everybody just runs to our tune or this is it's more well if we can create lots of um, people doing lots of things, and they run their own organisations and create the cultures. That's how you're going to get scale. Mm-hmm. So, so first thing is, is around the, le- the leaders and the future leaders. We, Scotland needs world-class programmes and development opportunities, etc. Um, we run three, but others run other great ones. And so I think that would be point one, is how we develop our people and how we invest in the next generation. Mm-hmm. The second thing is then, okay, so having done that, um, or continues to, do, continues to do that every year, it, how do you create uh, an efficient grid or network or something for, for the very best ideas and experiences and investment and talent and access to flow? Mm-hmm. So what I think we've got in Scotland, I think we have all the natural resources, human capital we need, probably have all the investment we need relative to, to other countries, but it's just not connecting into the right places. There's silos. So, the, so I see that a bit like a electricity grid that you know mm. when you get that working, the electricity can flow everywhere and all sorts mm. of magic stuff happens. But if you only have a power plant over here and a few lines of grid, or there's then the, the whole place doesn't light up. Mm. Um, so I see that second phase is actually, how do you join the dots? How do you get that grid working? The third element um, is, in a way, if you've got the people, you've got them connected and you've got that, your grid working, is how do you clear the rest of the path and then make sure that it's as easy as possible for those people who are trying to drive change or innovate or lead a business or do something in the third sector or a charity or in government, that they've got that path. And that comes much more down to the culture. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot we can do, of which a big starter for 10 is um, how we collaborate better. Your, so, how do we get better on the support and the sort of support ecosystem side, how do we get better at collaborating? Mm-hmm. So that it's not, oh no, no, my program's better than your programme, or <laughs> my network's better than your network. No, no, no. The hero's that person, we've got to support them, how do we work together to do that?
0: Yeah, yeah. My next question is probably leading on from that, but what do you think business leaders can do to, to help more, to support that?
1: Um, I think first thing, looking at business leaders themselves, being the best leader they can be. Mm-hmm. So um, particular, you know, or not particularly, all people who are trying to grow something or create something, it, it comes with its pressures, it comes with its challenges. And the skills, the more softer um, traits that you need to have around resilience and uh, emotional intelligence, et cetera, know be the best leader you can be because ultimately the impact that you have on your organization and how that's led and how you build in values etc mm-hmm. will have an impact not just you know, direct impact on the performance of that organization and therefore the economy etc but also in those people who you're working with because they will go on and do other things and they'll take a bit of that away so that's probably the primary thing I think the second thing is then how do you then connect into more broadly outside of your organization. And that can take, how do you connect with your peer group? Mm-hmm. So how do you help each other? You know, non-competing areas. Um, and that might be you've cracked the code when it comes to, I don't know, cash flow management, and somebody else is really struggling with cash flow, will help them do mm-hmm. better, because they might be amazing at, I don't know, acquiring new customers in Canada, and you want to enter Canada, so do that. Mm-hmm. So that peer engagement, and then similarly, how you inspire the next generation. So there's a role that you can play in terms of engaging with the next generation because they need that inspiration as well. So there would be a couple of ways. One is be the best leader you can be and also then connect out both. And I'm a big believer in pay forward. So certainly my life, I find the more I give out, the more I get back. And Mm. I think that that would be the the second area. yeah, and be passionate. Yeah. Care about do stuff you care about.
0: It's a really good answer. I like it.
1: How have you evolved as a person
0: throughout your career?
1: Man, um, I think the first thing is that everything really I ever saw myself as having a career. <laughs> um, so, how have I evolved as a person? Um, I don't know. Actually, I have asked myself that question. I think uh, I felt. I think and this is maybe not even quite answering it, is I knew very clearly in my head at various points in my so-called career where I didn't want to be and that there was something. So therefore, by definition, when I do feel that I am somewhere I do want to be, then whilst I'm not maybe acknowledging it myself, that must mean something. So if I take being a lawyer in a fabulous law firm, sort of. Like, um, like my, my kids watch Suits, you know, the TV programme, yeah. and they love it. They think, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I said, that is what my law career was like. And they go, um, yeah, but that's amazing. Why, why are you not doing it? I said, well, do you not notice that they're all friends with each other and they have no friends outside of the whole TV programme? They're all having relationships inside the office, some of them <laughs> with people explicitly, and some people explicitly, that, yes, they go into that court case where um, they come up with the... Um, Amazing that that happens, but what it doesn't show you is that you had to do a, well. In litigation terms, probably about three years worth of grunt work to get to that moment. So it's all true, <laughs> yeah. But it's edited, and <laughs> you know. And I just felt I wanted to do stuff that you know energized me on a day-to-day basis. I wasn't just reading another textbook or uh, working out some how to order some papers. Or I was a ninja at photocopying and fax machining and all that stuff. Um that's a nice retro point for those people who never heard of what a fax machine is um and but so I think I knew it wasn't the right place for me and now I find so I think there's a I'm very sensory so therefore I I could feel that that was the right thing um but how how have I developed I don't know I think it's probably better ask one of my long long-standing friends I think but I feel I'm pretty much the same person I was then. Really? Um, hopefully, I've probably forgotten a lot of stuff, but I've picked up a few things the way through. Um, I was always doing stuff like, I was never, I never did, if I looked, say, at university, I did, I don't remember this the other day because we were talking about it, but I organised like Scottish events at university and accidentally made a load of money. Doing it, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't go out with the intent to make lots of money. I went out because I thought you know, I was at Cambridge University, and slightly looking Scotland is a slightly odd place up north. Um, so, so I thought, well, wow, it'd be great. We put these events on, and you get bagpipes, and I could wear my kilt and use it as a, because there's obviously lots of other Scots there, so they would all come, and then we'd all walk around, wear kilts, and all my English friends would go, wow, this is great!" and I then wrote to whiskey companies and said, Oh, we're doing this at Cambridge University, it's a good idea. Why don't you send us whiskey? And then all of a sudden, like cases of whiskey arrived. Whoa, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, oh. And then I worked out to get a free venue and then blagged somebody to sponsor the food. And I thought, so effectively I was working like ninety percent margin on on the event. Wow. And I, just, I went, Whoa, how do you do that? So that was that was ages ago. But it was I suppose what I did was I did it for the re, the purpose first and the cash was an accident. Um and I used to do organised nightclub nights and that sort of stuff. Not because I made any money out of it, but because I love seeing people having a good time, doing good stuff, so yeah. there's a bit of that. And why I love what I do is you know, is that sense of when you see people who make a connection that would have never made if you hadn't helped, or um, something happened that, you know, because they're an Entrepreneurial Scotland member, they do this or that, then mm-hmm. poof, I love it, love it. What's I don't you- need to be there.
0: Sorry, yeah. What, what What do you feel your purpose in life is?
1: Um, purpose in life. Well, I mean, ultimately, ultimately it's the, it's, it doesn't quite answer your question, but it does, does to me, which is to be the best person I can be. So it's the thing I can control. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if I'm that, then and I and I do that and I do that with some sort of intent, then stuff will happen and I can be happy at, at the end of it. I think, um, is my purpose to help Scotland be its most the most entrepreneurial society in the world. I could create a case for that <laughs> um, because I come from a long family background of washing people's clothes and all that sort of stuff i come from i think one of the things that you know i I hate it a bit under a bushel for sometimes but you're going to cambridge opens your eyes to what networks really look like Mm. when they're functioning now don't get me wrong old boys networks exist in spades city network exists in spades cambridge Oxbridge network exists in spades so i i sort of Rather than going, that's either oh, that's lovely, thank you very much. I'll just take all that and I'll privilege position or equal. No, I don't want that. I sort of well, why is that? What it serves a purpose. It does a job. So, mm-hmm. so in what I do now, I, l- I love the fact that sort of as somebody put it, you know, if you had the old boys network, what you're creating is the new people's network. It's sort <laughs> of I I like that. That was actually some time ago. Uh, they coined that, and I think yeah. So that, that would be so purpose it starts with who and, and there is obviously some philosophy behind it but yep. it starts with who you are or who i am yeah and if i'm true to that and then work out from there yeah. um yeah and you know who i am and then what i do and you know then stuff will happen beyond yeah. that um i don't know may you probably should ask some of my team because they probably think i'm a bit bonkers sometimes <laughs> about that
0: so so, in terms of kind of being the best you that you can be, does that require you to kind of live in alignment with a certain value structure, or mm-hmm. you know do you kind of you know measure yourself relative to anything
1: uh it's a good question um so classically, that would be religion or a certain you know credo or something that somebody that would hold I've I'm influenced by that, but it's not it's not something that I use um, I suppose I, I feel I'm probably a bit more freeform. So it's like so I must have a very and maybe put it down to my parents or my schooling or stuff that I found that worked is is being open minded being um, try not to judge people first up. Mm-hmm. Um, try to, and I don't always do it. But equally, I don't give myself a good kicking if I don't. I sort of. So 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 I, I don't think I'm answering your question because I don't think I do it. But I, hopefully, I do it more intuitively than I yeah, do it rationally. Right, yeah. um, that makes sense. I do. I do. I definitely have a a bit of a pleaser. Challenge. So, I do. I think I'm probably quite emotionally aware, so therefore, I'm watching mm-hmm. how people are responding. And if people I care about are responding back to me that I think they're upset or whatever, then I, I tend to feel that. So, um, yeah. And that can be a problem sometimes because then you can't quite see what the right path is because if you're measuring. How well you're doing against the people you care about response to you. Mm. Then mm. that that can give you a ninety percent good result, but for that ten percent, it might mislead you. Mm-hmm. So hmm. yeah, I feel I do feel very centered and sort of solid around you know those sort of things. But um, yeah, it's not maybe it doesn't it doesn't have a like a fabric that's laid around either, you know. Through his centuries of religion, or um, you know, something I've written down, so yeah, I must do that, and I must measure myself against mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty consistent. I think, I think one of my strengths is I'm pretty consistent at it. I think that yeah. again, like your question before, if you ask some of my school friends how different am I to the person that they knew back in at school, I'd hope anyway that they would say that pretty much the same. So. I don't know why that happened. No idea. <laughs> but I quite, I quite enjoy it. So it's yeah. something I want to continue.
0: Hmm. What would you like your legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered?
1: I think it depends on. It depends on who, because you say, you know, I do believe that legacy is very much about how other people see you rather than mm-hmm. how you see yourself. So, you know, my my kids and my family um, um, really important. I think. I think that I was present. I was there, um, not always in a constructive way, I'm sure, but largely I would like to be largely constructive. Um, that was quite fun to be around and brought different dimensions to our our family life. Um, so so that that be that part. I think my friends similarly. They go, yeah, it was yeah. Our lives were enriched by being around him. Um, And I think in the sort of world that that I'm in, um, I think it's, I've thought about it and I'm not sure this analogy will come across but it works in my head and that is that, you know, I mentioned earlier about how I used to organise nightclub nights and all that sort of stuff and the way it from the business model side was I realised that um, nightclubs have an issue in London anyway. You had a problem whereby at between eight eight o'clock and eleven o'clock they were completely empty, but they needed to staff them up, and then at eleven o'clock you ended up with queues round the back of the corner, and then it was like really inefficient. So. Um, I probably didn't use the word inefficient at the time, but I just could see that. <laughs> so what I did was went to the nightclubs and say, "I hey, tell you what, I'll bring a crowd. If I can get a crowd in here at eight o'clock, you serve the drinks at the prices that the bar, the pubs would charge, and they get in for free. But I will deliver the crowd." <laughs> and nightclubs loved it because because it, bottom line is any bar takings between eight and eleven were upside, even if it was at slightly lower prices, and they didn't have to manage, they had a full club from the moment they needed it at 11 o'clock. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> I loved it, not because I didn't make any money off that, I probably could have made a lot of money off it if I wanted to, but um, was, and I and I remember it, and I, I now actively seek this moment, is usually it was about half 12 at night when the club was rocking and everybody's having a blast, and I would look around that club and I would go, I know nearly everybody in this room and the people I don't know are connected to each other or in some way rather than just a random group of strangers and I'd always like to stand beside the bar with a beer and a pal and say, isn't this great? So, so to <laughs> me, legacy, the equivalent legacy to now would be to be able to enjoy a beer with a pal, at a bar somewhere and look around Scotland and go, oh, look at that. Look at all these great people doing great stuff. Achieving whatever it is, whatever it is they want to do. I say, I have something to do with that. I lo- I, that's <laughs> the le- so legacy, which, so my legacy is a nightclub analogy, there you go. That's as be- close as I can get.
0: Oh, that's a super cool answer, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's yeah, really cute. No, no. no it good,
1: is, it's good. The soundtrack behind it, maybe. <laughs> as, although, as I know, and I have to say, I quite like this, although I remember my, da- my mom and dad saying this to me, is, so that was sort of mid '90s. So I was into you know dance music and that sort of stuff from about late '80s. So a lot of that stuff is all coming around again. Yeah. So it's stuff that my children are listening to. I say, oh yeah, that's that's got that from that and that from that, and oh yeah, it's great tune. And I go, I think, oh, it's quite cool, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I'm cool in many other ways, but that is. I quite enjoy that. I enjoy my music. <laughs>
0: What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: I don't I've never never really thought about. It. I think there's lots of lots of advice. I think I mean I, probably building off what we've talked off already, but things like um be clear in your with yourself first what you're trying to do and if you work to that and mm-hmm. gather people around you then nah. so i think that kind of sense of purpose and focus is really important i think it's not so much advice but something that i've and i suppose i can retrospectively put it into being advice but some of the really most fundamental um shifts um in my thinking or opportunity have come from the most fleetingness, if that's a word, of 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 meeting of somebody else. And it's planned, it's intent, it's full of intent. So I'll give you an example would be um so I, I was building, I mentioned before, I was building this Mail Order Online uh, photo business and so in the UK, there was a number of incumbents. Older people recognise these names like True Print, Bonus Print, etc., who were big businesses at that time. Um, but very much, they were doing exactly the same as it had been done for the last thirty years, probably. So hadn't the models hadn't changed? So I was looking at it, saying, "Well, what does a new vir- who is brilliant at this globally?" So I used our network to, to work out, to find out who was doing, doing it really well. And what emerged was it was this Australian guy called Rob Tollmey um, who, who I sort of triangulated in on him. But he, the issue was he lived in Brisbane um, and I lived in Glasgow. Um, but what I did was, and most of the industry did, we'd meet in Las Vegas or New Orleans every year to gather as an industry and it was some, I was with somebody, so I'd worked out that he was the guy I wanted to speak to, and I happened to be with, this guy happened to be Danish, um, Gorm Christensen, and he said, there he is over there, You're asking, remember you are asking, there he is over there, and he was literally walking through a lobby oh of a hotel. And, because I'd asked him ages ago, and he said, so there he is, so I rushed over to him and said, Rob, you don't know who I am, I'm setting up an online mail order business in Scotland, I hear you are the man, I'd love to spend some time, but you're on the your way something, I get your card, and um, you know, I'd love to just, even just spend an hour on the phone with you. He said, I won't do his accent, but he said, of course, <laughs> that's not a problem, here's my card. So I put my card, put it in my pocket, made sure I didn't lose it, and headed back to Scotland, did the conference, headed back to Scotland. Fast forward to today, that guy is the godfather uh, to my children. He is, was my mentor creating the new business. He then ended up coming onto our board um, back here in Scotland and used to travel every month from Australia to be on our board. He um, has led, I would say, on um, photo industries in a pretty brutal um, brutal environment, but um, he probably has led or influenced virtually all of the most successful photo businesses, on, mostly online. Uh, globally, and yeah, no, and I just saw him three weeks ago, and you know he's a very dear friend and somebody who I, you're who's thinking I value, but it all came from that that moment in the lobby of the Peabody, and it was literally, but it had a lot of prep before, so I knew who I wanted to speak to, I was with that, and then serendipity happened that I could get him, and I took it, so so <laughs> my so it's not really you asked to pay advice that people give me, but I suppose through experience is taking those opportunities, but being really, it's not, oh, I would love to meet, I don't know, Sir Tom Hunter, why? What is it you want out of it? Why is it, and then what is it your follow through action is gonna be, and then how do you do, deal with it? That would be, you know, hmm. so. Do you believe in the fate? I don't believe in fate, but I do believe in that opportunities emerge through an element of serendipity. So I probably believe in serendipity over fate. Okay. Um, that there's a And some of the stuff, I'm, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to, to see it, but um, there's some stuff that I'm sure there is science behind it, the mm-hmm. serendipity, and some of it, who knows something spiritual behind it, I have no idea. But I do believe that putting yourself in the right places with the right intent and being aware, stuff happens, for sure. Um, hmm. And, yeah, and and I, get, and I think it's even, there's there's the physical um, putting yourself there, but it's also the mental. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're under deep pressure, feeling stressed, locked down, then your ability to see where an opportunity might be just passing straight past you to solve all your problems, you might not see it. Equally, I also believe that under stress and not, sometimes you you see things you don't see otherwise because you're forced to, mm-hmm. so, so hmm. it's, so there's, each, I, I probably sound. I know I'm probably being influenced by by some friends like Collect Grant, who, you know, each. I suppose phase is what it is. It's not better or worse. So therefore, you just have to accept that it is what it is, and then deal with what it is in front of you, um, and take from it what you can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's it's, it's right. Mm, we were judging the um, Entrepreneur of the Year awards last week, and, and a very successful entrepreneur in questions about what were his biggest lessons that he'd learned. And I think this, he put it better than I did. He said um, that actually within every challenge there's an opportunity. You just got to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. So that so mm-hmm. that would be there you go. There's there's a good <laughs> tip. <tech. laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not mine. <laughs> Somebody else's. <laughs>
0: You mentioned, or you kind of touched upon this earlier but I think you were projecting forward rather than looking back but if you had the opportunity to speak to your 20 year old self what would you say?
1: Um, I would say relax but really work hard and try hard at what you're doing, everything you do have fun doing it and yeah, that 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 would be it. That would be it. I think it's just yeah. It it sounds a bit you know, live every day, blah blah blah. But that that <coughs> sort of thing is um yeah. Just yeah be the best. Best you can do at all the stuff and be bold and try things that are different and yeah. yeah. It's not a lot, and particularly, I think, when you're 20, I think um, if I was speaking to a 20-year-old rather than my 20-year-old self, is oh, the stuff that you can get wrong or really give it a go at when you're 20 is different to the stuff that you can have a go at when you're 40 or when I'm 48. <laughs> and that that probably is as much a mindset, so I, I sort of have to self critique myself there. Mm. But you do have other dependents and responsibilities that can then inhibit you. When you're in your early twenties you don't yeah. um, mm-hmm. be equally, you don't have the experience or the network or the connections. So mm. there's, there's yeah, two sides of it.
0: If you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why?
1: I'm going to choose something more because I had a conversation, I'm going to get a late night conversation um, with actually an Australian guy about this and what it is, is I see that in the world at the moment, and I would argue I'm a big believer that, that a lot of these things have existed for a long time so it's not like oh in our moment it's the worst moment or the best moment, probably a lot of it is has ebbed and flowed over history, is that we're at a moment where it feels that our people are locking down their solutions. I'm talking here not in technology where the opposite's happening, but I'm meaning, you know, if you look at Brexit, if you look at Trump America, you look at – North Korea is probably the wrong thing – but you're, you're seeing some inward-looking, close it out, shut it down kind of mindsets. I believe that all the greatest things that have ever been achieved, have been achieved in collaboration and with OPEN. So if I Mm -hmm. could change one thing, it would be that we recognise that that the best for all of us is the openness and collaboration Mm -hmm. and support and and try and bring a culture that does that. but that that maybe sounds a wee bit hippy-like and it's not, it, it, it has an element of that hippy-like but it's more that I also believe that we need people to be going out and be the best they can be and strive and be ambitious and all that sort of stuff but it's important they're part of the fabric and celebrated for that within the community, mm-hmm. um, not either they go off to the gated communities or they get pelters for, <laughs> for being successful. Who mm-hmm. do you think you are? or if you're an immigrant coming into the country, that we should be celebrating that they're here Mm. and understanding the value they bring rather than pushing that away, saying, you've taken our jobs, well, let's just make more jobs
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) rather than let's try and divvy up the ones we've got better. Mm. But that's easy for me to say. I'm conscious if I was... you hadn't had a job for 10 years and that somebody was coming in and taking all the opportunity and then oh I would yeah. probably feel differently. So I'm empathetic to that but mm-hmm. but my view is that shutting everything down doesn't, it's not going to solve it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And definitely. being entrepreneurial. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> is, of Yes, yeah, so I should have said that. That would <laughs> be my major one because I believe that if you are entrepreneurial and you have an entrepreneurial culture and you inspire entrepreneurial thinking and mindset wherever it is, Absolutely. that's going to, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to do it.
0: Yeah, it, I suppose it's the whole idea of having a growth mindset over a That's I don't it. know what the alternative is—a closed, I guess, Yeah, or kind of limited exactly. belief system. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Excellent, Sandy. It's been great spending time with you and, well, and chatting you. with you. Well, I've really, a really a real enjoyed honour it.
1: honour to be here. So thank you very much. It's it. an absolute pleasure, and thank it's you.
0: been a lot of fun listening to your some great answers using <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah thank you so much for A your pleasure, time Elliot. thank you cheers thank you you've been listening to inspired edinburgh if you enjoyed this please subscribe for more powerful conversations thank you for taking the time to listen to our show and we'll see you at the next episode